it's, it's not only the business case that you need to define, but also the new concepts. And you need investors also to have the guts to invest in these. Can't we look into the planetary boundaries and use those to determine value? And this is, this is ambitious to do that. Hello there and welcome to the podcast No Stone Unturned from Savills. In this podcast, we tell you all about real estate and ESG in the Netherlands. What are the latest developments in ESG? And what do you really need to know about investing in Dutch real estate? Listening to the, this podcast gives you the opportunity to become a real frontrunner. I am Charlotte Harmsen, and in this episode, I'm going to talk about ESG beyond compliance. How to take ESG beyond what is obliged by rules and regulations. My guest is Charlotte Exterkatte, transformation expert and initiator of the platform 100 Months to Change. Welcome, Charlotte. Nice to be here. Sustainability and the environment are hot topics in the last few years, but for you it all started much earlier. Already at school you were committed to this topic. How did that originate? So I was 16 years old and my geography teacher thought, hmm, maybe this girl is a bit bored. We need to take her to a simulation game of the United Nations. And there I uh, gave, uh, had a, a chance to learn more about sustainable development. This was 25 years ago. And in that period, um, it was a huge inspiration for me to learn about sustainability, uh, sustainable development goals and the role of business and government to tackle these global issues together. Um, and I started uh, studying about it also in university. But at the time, 25 years ago, there was no study about sustainable development. Not these, specifically. No. no, these days you see that more. So I had an opportunity to start working next to my studies for a bank who was um, uh, very green, so to say, a Triodos Bank. And I learned about um, data, ESG data, how to interpret them, how to measure ESG data and the sustainability of a uh, production company. Is a different. Did they already call it ESG at that time? Yeah, okay. it had different labels. And over time, in the last decades, it has changed many times. Um, for me, it's sustainable development in the basis. Mm -hmm. It's a changing topic. It's work in progress continuously. And nowadays, we luckily have the clear agenda of the United Nations to have a sort of a backbone for this agenda. To guide us. Yeah, and nowadays, of course, it's much more common for teenagers to care a lot about the environment. Um, should that change the attitude of companies, for example, companies in real estate towards climate issues? In the sense, if you want to involve young people, if you want to have your talents on board for the future, yes, definitely. I think in a broader sense, you want to um, have real estate companies uh, really being the front runner in the built environment to change the built environment towards a climate proof, climate resilient environment, actually, in the broadest sense. It's a... Uh, environmental issue it's a, a, an issue with a social impact and it needs a different type of organization and coming back to your point on the young people and the role of young people they have um, an, an, a real accelerator role actually to well to accelerate these processes within the organizations to drive the change that we need it's a people process it's a people process and indeed the for instance the millennial workforce of course is um, becoming the biggest uh, age group within uh, uh, the workforce in the, in the Netherlands and, and in other countries as well. Um, but uh, how do you make room for these young professionals? How do you make sure that they, they thrive in a company and that they can find 
their way to contribute to uh, to an ESG objective. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful topic that you uh, address here. Um, maybe to give you an example from practice, we work with a company in the built environment. Um, they they build houses and offices, etc. And they have a student um, in one of the projects. And we bring her to every meeting we have with the project group who's working on ESG um, development of, a, 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 sorry, a concept of ESG. And she's bringing in a new, fresh perspective. And she's challenging the, the purchaser of that company. She's challenging the marketeer of that company. And it opens their eyes. Um, well, that's really cool. And she's still studying. So she's 20, 20 something I think 22 years old and but you really have to have a lot of also maybe confidence or or any in any case the feeling that your opinion is valued if you're at that age and you can challenge uh the purchaser and the and the project uh, group yeah and uh well it, it starts already with that they invite her for the meeting of and course. whenever she they forget to invite her because it's not in the system so to say she stands up and says hey there is a meeting can i still join yes you can So it, it's a, a, a mindset, it's an attitude, uh, definitely. Um, what I've also noticed is that this person, this is one example, I've seen more um, because we work with students in many projects. They have a very strong personal compass. They know what they want in their job. Um, and there is a societal aspect and, and drive that they have that I didn't have when I started studying. Um, I, I did have it a bit because of the geography teacher I told you about, but it wasn't... Um, a thing that was normal to have. And nowadays I see many young professionals being very conscious about what's happening around them uh, of the age of this girl, 22 years old. I'm also speaking about my own children. They are nine and 11 and they are very conscious about what's happening in the world and they want to contribute. And why do you think that is? Maybe that's not a question you can answer. It's more a sociological question. But why is it that the previous generation did not look that far into the future or, or were not as engaged in environmental uh, issues and, and that this this generation and the coming generation, the generation Z, really feels that urgency. Mm -hmm. my, my personal view on this, I've been now working in sustainable development and ESG uh, for 25 years and I've seen the topic develop from a topic that you really had to push into organizations to now a time where companies whether it's government uh, or uh, commercial companies, they are like asking a lot of questions like how are we going to deal with sustainable development issues like climate change, circularity, health. Uh, we know it, we need to do it. We know there's regulation coming up. Public, uh, public opinion is becoming stronger. The role of consumers, they become more and more demanding. There's the social aspect also to the role of consumers. We need to change and we want to change, but we have no clue how, how to do it. Yeah, that's, that, that's, yeah, I recognize that in the questions that we receive also from our clients. I mean, a lot of our clients are uh, well aware of uh, regulations like uh, the SFDR, um, but they're also, uh, they also have their own ambitions that go maybe beyond that compliance. Um, but they're really searching for ways uh, how to incorporate uh, ESG in their daily business and in their projects. Um, you started a platform called 100 Months to Change, also to help companies uh, in this transformation. Uh, can you explain a little bit uh, about uh, 100 Months to Change? 
Yes, I'll tell in a second what the platform exactly is. Let me first make the bridge between the story of the geography teacher. I started working at Triodos Bank and how I ended up in this platform um, as an introduction to it. So at the bank and later on at the, an, a big financial company, I learned a lot about how do you measure ESG? Uh, how do you measure that in a production company, in a service company, etc.? And I've seen that the, the performance, the data that came out of these processes were much better when we had intrinsically motivated persons behind the data, dealing with the data. And I was fascinated by that aspect of sustainability. It's not about the measurement, it's about the objective uh, that you want to reach and the measurement is a means to an end. And the people with a uh, vision on why are we doing this and, and what do we want to achieve with these data in the end, they had better performances. You see that nowadays also in the build environment, those companies who have a better um, quality of ESG data also have a better performance in the market. Um, is, is that then driven by that they know what they want to measure? What we've seen in the in the past 25 years, uh, and especially 15 years, um, I've seen that uh, companies who are have achieved uh, successful results in ESG, they had a very clear, compelling vision on what they think ESG uh, means in practice in the longer term, and they can steer and govern on these uh, on this out outcome that you want to have. Um, so to build a bridge from this period, I worked for the financial companies on the data. Um, I wanted to tell you more about also my experience at one of these climate pioneers. It's called Interface. It's a company who makes carpet tiles, and they've been able to transform from a highly polluting market uh, product to now nowadays uh, becoming a climate positive company. So so taking more carbon out of the atmosphere than adding to it. And they have shown a way to transform their organization. And that way of transforming the organization is successful. They have a climate positive result and they are market um, pioneer and also front runner in the market uh, of their flooring business and a huge inspiration for thousands of companies around the, the world. In the platform that you were talking about, 100 Months to Change, we really like to bring the knowledge of this pioneer and all the pioneers we worked with in the last 15 years to a larger audience. Because we strongly believe that if we involve more people in the topic of climate change and how you can contribute as an organization, as a real estate company or a government, then we will be able to make it to the climate goals and really have better uh, organizational performance in the same time. It's a win-win. It's um, indeed the company of... Um interface that you're talking about uh, that's actually how we got to meet maybe that's nice to uh, to explain to our listeners that um, we were working on our own ESG roadmap at Sevels uh, in the Netherlands and we were really looking for a way that we could present this uh, to our uh, our employees on a way that was sticky you know not something that uh, you present on your annual results day And people go home and they think, well, oh yeah, and then there was something about uh, <laughs> sustainability, but really in a compelling way. And we started looking for like a documentary or, or, or a film uh, to introduce our strategy to sort of stress the urgency uh, of uh, 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 climate change. So we looked at documentaries like David Attenborough documentaries, which are absolutely amazing. Uh, and, and I would advise 
everyone to to see at least one. Um, but then we came upon a documentary called Beyond Zero, um, which is the story of Interface, actually. And uh, it really shows you that as a company, you can totally transform your whole business model um, into, uh, into a positive, uh, climate-positive company. So I thought that was really inspiring. And uh, what I thought was really nice in that in the 100 Months to Change program, you sort of pulled out the most important lessons learned uh, from that company, but also other companies uh, that you've worked with. And they are really sort of easy to remember. They're, they're quite practical. Could you share a few of those sort of critical success factors to transformation? Yeah, I can definitely do that. The story of Interface is a story of a company who started working on climate change in the time that there was no urgency for the topic. They needed 25 years to transform. Nowadays, we need to do this faster. We have actually 94 months left before it's 2030. That's the year that we, for example, need to uh, decrease our greenhouse gases with 60%. Built environment has a 40% contribution to this number. Um, so there's a, a massive challenge for for a lot of people in the built environment. Um, if we look at the case of Interface and other pioneers, together with the theory of ac academics that we added to our model, we see actually four accelerators to help organization go faster in their transformation process by taking in the lessons of the climate pioneers. And the most important lesson is please make a compelling vision of your future the future you want to create with your employees, your customers and your suppliers and other stakeholders, because that is um, inspiring people to th come up with different solutions that how we to need. Get there. Yeah, yeah. How so to really get there. a dot on the horizon. This is where we want to go. This is who we want to be. Yes. And that's much more than having a purpose or a motto. It's really an, an image and something you have common um a common image of with your whole company or your whole value chain or your project. Like this is the, the thing we're going to build together. Um, and we, you also have in that future vision a role for everyone. What's the, the what's doing um, a, for example, a waste company differently in your model? What is a, the role of a financer differently if you have created your new future? Um, all those kind of human roles you're pinpointing in this future model actually. And this compelling vision is is like a magnet to to in inspire and to invite others to help think along the solutions that you need. Um, that's the first. Um, and secondly, we see that it's always um, a small group of people who's really starting this, starting up this new um, vision and the, the hunger to create it, and um, also inviting others to join and think along. And we call that a change team. In the movie Beyond Zero that we host as a part of our program. It's called the dream team. In the Netherlands, then we lose the attention a little bit. So we call it a change team. And uh, if you start with that group to build um, a catalyst process, that's our third uh, ac accelerator, um, then you can really accelerate your process to create um, actions in the, in the short term that will contribute to create the vision of the longer term. And, and the fourth is that you then also start doing that in sprints and keep learning together and show others what the successes and also the failures are in this process to show progress and to allow others to join your movement. And so 
if you look at these four accelerators or yeah, critical success factors to successful transformation, uh, what do you see in real estate? Because I know uh, you know a few companies in the built environment in the Netherlands and maybe also abroad. Uh, are you, do you th do you have the feeling that our sector, the industry that we are in, is is going beyond compliance? I think great things are happening in the industry in the market. Um, it's a difficult market to transform. The value chain is very complex. Many actors and also with all the the, the changes that are happening currently, um, climate change is only one of the issues that that's affecting the industry. Uh, it's it's not an easy piece to change. Um, I see a lot of professionals who are very motivated to come up with better solutions. Startups, but also professionals in the larger organization. We work with a couple of uh, par parties in the built environment. And the motivation is there. Um, the processes are there. Because in the, in the built environment, we are very good in organizing um, the process you, you project can, management yeah. yeah it's it's core it's key and and that's a an asset you need to use also in this um, transformation process but without a vision and a change team it's difficult to change your course so that's my attention point for the real estate world whether you are an investor or one of the parties who is really building the properties it's um, you need the vision how are you going to build this new future literally and what materials are you going to use? How are you going to organize different technologies? Um, how are you going to create new jobs? Because you will need different skills to build those different kind of properties. And that vision, um, it takes time to develop that together with management team and uh, motivated persons in your organization and value chain. It's a different way of collaboration, actually. And... Um well, you would also think that in the built environment we're good at collaborating because you have to work with a lot of different stakeholders in each project, of course. But um, if you look at, of course, you have the 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 actual builders, so the the um, building companies that are at the at the source of building a more sustainable envir environment. But you also have the investors. It might be the biggest target group of this uh, of this podcast you now have a chance uh, <laughs> to to speak to them what would you like to say what role can investors play in this in this transformation of our sector they're the absolute catalyst to make this change happen the question they ask to the market is key uh, to allow parties in the value chain to come up with the best solutions they have the solutions are there we have for example this top 100 list of drawdown climate solutions that we already have. The people are motivated. It's just the system um, that's not giving space currently enough to use this potential. And the investor is the key person to make space and to, uh, to challenge on using these solutions more. But then maybe we need to be a bit more flexible on the traditional thinking models that we use currently to, to measure the performance of your projects, of your portfolio. Um, so... The challenge would be for uh, investors to maybe use a different thinking frame and more long term, long term, and also be open for new uh, solutions that you would never expect upfront to come out of your process. Um, yeah, but those solutions, of course, uh, are more unknown. Yeah, unknown. So mm -hmm. unknown means more risk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're not currently in the in the cycle in the real estate market where uh, investors are very likely uh, 
to take big risks. So we've, we see a lot of um, demand for more core uh, in investment opportunities. So yeah, how, how to how to break through this? Uh... Yeah, I can only give them, of course, the examples of companies such as Interface and other pioneers who have shown by taking a different route, they have a, a far uh, better outcome uh, and a better performance financially, but also on their sustainability profile. And they are now market leaders still. They wouldn't have been that if they would ha wouldn't have had those innovations that came out of their vision for the future. Um, so I'm totally confident, and it's also based on research of academics, that they will have a better performance if they have more attention for the people factor and the transformation process of their of the organizations they want to invest in. Um, it's a risk, but it's also a lot of fun. It, it's inspiring. Um, it's It gives you energy as a professional. Uh, and maybe then your 8% revenue is 7% or 6% for a while, but in the longer term, you will have a better portfolio. Yeah, I think um, that's a big shift in, in uh, mindset to go from you're basing your investment decisions on past transactions to us looking into the future and basing your decisions on yeah the unknown but it would be absolutely amazing of course if uh, if more and more uh, investors would take on this approach and actually that's also what we see in our client uh, base so i i share your optimism uh, of of this um this new route uh, i would like to invite my colleague iris campers to join this conversation because every episode I invite her to share an ESG insight with uh, our listeners and um, mostly it's, it's, it's related to the topic but we've talked uh, up, up to this episode we've talked a lot about specific sectors or specific uh, parts of the uh, real estate market of course today we're talking more generally on uh, on how to um, how to pave the path to a brighter future. Iris, I'm, I'm therefore totally uh, in the unknown of what you're going to share with us today because we're not in a specific theme, but please tell me what, uh, what insights are you bringing today? Okay, so thank you very much for hosting me. I'm still sort of processing everything that Charlotte just said because that was really good um, to have these insights into the four different catalyzers for um, sustainable conduct or sustainable change. And um, the insight that I brought today is really tapping into that because we did the same process. We set a dot on the horizon. You were one of the instigators of that one. Um, and then we brought together this group. We call them our ESG champions. And um, they are now taking that dot on the horizon. And they are coming up to me all the time with different types of ideas. And the insight that I wanted to share to you, with you today is that we get a lot of questions in our valuations department on how are you going to you know, evaluate sustainability measures in the built environment? And my colleague, Martijn, who couldn't be here today, unfortunately, but he came up to me and he said, so, you know, in trying to value sustainability measures in the built environment, can't we look into the planetary boundaries and use those to determine value. And this is this is ambitious to do that. Um, just a little bit of background. The planetary boundaries are a model, and we have translated that into the donut economy. I think more of our listeners will be familiar with that one. Um, but basically, it shows that our planet has a certain threshold of 
um, resources that it can offer us and an, a certain amount of, you know, air that it can purify, a certain amount of water that it can deliver for us within that system that is our blue marble. Um, and by looking into those planetary boundaries and thus, you know, determining how much there is of a certain thing, of a certain natural resource, you could definitely say, okay, this is the maximum. This is the amount of the economy depending on that. So the value of that is X. And so my ESG insight for the day is... We need to build completely new uh, models. <laughs> well, sort of like, sort of that, but also that Savills is working on doing exactly that. So determining the natural capital or the value of different types of sustainability measures for the built environment, specifically for our valuations department, which I think will be very interesting to a lot of our listeners today. And definitely. And I also think it really um, feeds into what Charlotte uh, was saying um, about the investors being sort of key catalyzer of, uh, of this change, that if they see the, the value case in, 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 this, in the business case for uh, um, sustainability, then that will definitely be one of those sort of accelerators uh, of change probably i don't know if you would like to respond charlotte um yeah it's it's definitely a for a fin it's a financial driver if you don't do this as an inv investor over time you will see that your performance will be lower of your portfolio and to explore and to pilot with companies like Savills and to to measure value in a different way and to also engage stakeholders in that measurement as in as a means to have a conversation what are we actually doing together and do we really want this built environment to be uh, contributing to a better planet and to, to reach our climate goals, to have a, a 1.5 degree society um, for guarantee, then we need to talk in a different model. I do also think it will take time. It, it w won't take 25 years time as Interface had to, to deal we with. We don't have that time. No, we have 93 months. We need to learn how to go faster because in a few months time it will be 90, 85 months to go. But we can do that because we have the techniques, we have the motivated people, we have the knowledge from parties like you on how to measure and how to have that conversation with the environment. And we have great opportunities and creativity to make the best places out there, buildings, environments. Um, so I'm, I'm still very positive and we need uh, your role in this as well. Um, now, of course, we have the advising uh, role. So uh, that's in my opinion, a, a, a perfect role. So uh, if you look further back in, into history, and one might say, okay, we're not building anything, we're not investing in it, what, what can we do? But I actually think that as an advisor, and that's also maybe um, to all other advisors in the real estate sector, but also in other sectors, you do have a role because you can always show the better option, even though, you know, proactively, even though maybe your client is not there yet, you can always advise on the most sustainable or, or the best uh, best option there is. And I think that is really powerful um, because sometimes uh, your client might not know that that is an option. Uh, so it's really good, good to show them. And one thing that I would also like to discuss with maybe both of you is um, you started your career in uh, in sustainability on the data side. We also have a plan in our in our ESG roadmap. Data is also a very important uh, factor because we have all this real estate data 
uh, already in house. Uh, it's just about connecting the right dots and presenting it in a, in a, in a way that speaks uh, to our clients. Um, uh, and it's also about building that business case, sort of showing showing the value. Um, also the financial financial value of, of, a, of a more sustainable um, built environment. But what I'm a bit weary of is that we're getting so focused on complying to regulations, um, looking at the financial benefits that's getting more and we're getting more and more evidence that actually a sustainable uh, uh, building will be valued higher. I mean, our colleagues are working on that all the time and you see reports pop them up that I feel that maybe we're getting away from that it's actually also just the right thing to do. <laughs> Apart from how yes. you... Yeah. <laughs> we say that a lot to clients as well, actually, because, well, whenever I do maybe training with Martijn, obviously because you're from the valuations department or because he is... Uh, you always get the question, so what's the bottom line here or mm -hmm. what is the business case? And he tends to say to people straight out of the gate, okay, so let's not discuss the bottom line here because we're discussing the planet and its survival. So the bottom line is irrelevant at some point. If we keep doing this, the bottom line will be irrelevant. And um, what I really like about that, you know, combination that we can now make is that you can address different companies within different levels of becoming more sustainable. So some of them, um, well, like Charlotte said already, there's a lot of data out there. You just need to point them in the right direction. And what I really like about working at Savills is that our research department has so much data at the ready and they can show you whatever you want. Um, and they are now working with us to do exactly that, to build that business case, to show what are we actually talking about. And at the same time, because we did the the process of building our own vision on ESG and because um, me as a tree hugger has a very different view on, you know, what sustainability is. And, and I can talk about biodiversity for a whole episode, I'm sure. Um, we'll do that sometime. <laughs> we'll do that sometime. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, we can also show, you know, what's beyond compliance, what what is behind that. And, and once we reach all the targets that were now set by maybe by financial targets, maybe by the World Economic Forum, maybe by legislation or the European Commission. What then, you know, what, what's going to follow that? And, and how do you, because we get the question as well from our clients saying, okay, so there's all these types of sustainability things going on. Um, how am I going to determine which I should focus on? What is going to be my main point of, point of focus? And you know, looking beyond what is now legislation or what you have to do is exactly where you're going to find that. It's it's you know, what do you want to do? I always also think if you look at change from a more of a social psychology point of view, then it also it always works better. You have more positive attitudes if you look at it from a like a moral ideal instead of a moral obligation. Um, so yeah, that's yeah exactly. I think it's really good that we have all this new legislation coming up, and I mean it's also very helpful to show with data the progress that you're making. So if, in order to get everyone on board, it helps to share these little successes, right? For where we went from this um, carbon uh, emission to this, or we had so many uh, women in uh, in director level, and now we have so many and. You know these things they enthusiasm uh, they enthusi 
our staff and, and other staff. But um, yeah, that's also why I wanted this episode particularly to yeah, encourage our listeners also to look at why you want this or where you're going after you are uh, compliant. And, and Charlotte, I think I'm, I'm going to come back to you. It's a strange conversation because we have two Charlottes in the room, but uh, I'm now uh, talking to my guest. Um, what do you think that the real, uh, the real estate sector will be the, the biggest change in the coming years? The biggest change in the real estate sector, uh, I think it will be a very competitive uh, market in the next uh, years and that uh, you will see that a couple of parties that you nowadays think, hey, they're good companies, they may even fall uh, apart um, and disappear because they are not able to step transform. up the game and to transform yep. um, for many reasons, because they don't match the legislation, they miss the talent, etc. But well, as you know, I'm more from the positive school, so looking forward uh, and also where we come from working with all the front runners in the market we see a lot of good stuff happening and i think we really go to radical new concepts in the market that will be developed very quickly um, because it's it's not only the business case that you need to define but also the new concepts and you need investors also to have the guts to invest in these but they need to be completely different uh, for example in the netherlands i live in the east of the netherlands in 2050 i will live on the beach so what will be the housing concept here in Amsterdam or Rotterdam? Uh, you will have a, a totally new um, way of building way of building and new concepts. And thinking beyond compliance, actually thinking beyond zero, as the title of the, the movie we use in our program, will give you all those creative, great ideas that we today can't even think of that they will be able that we are able to create them. Because that's what the pioneers have shown us. Think radical and you have you have great outcomes that you, you wouldn't expect up front. And we need the young people for that, huh? Because yeah, they will bring be. in the creativity and the artists. And, and the fresh perspective. I think the young people and I think what's really been a big inspiration for me personally in the in the last years of my career is biomimicry. It's also part of um uh, the documentary, um, it was something that we used to work on a lot in my, in my previous um, job. So looking at nature to solve climate issues, I think that is something that might not spring to mind to, to everyone. But can you tell me maybe a little bit about that part of the, of the documentary? I think that was really inspiring. Yes, so Interface worked on a mission to achieve in 2020 a model of a company where they have no more negative impact on the society. And when it was 2019, they developed a new mission and they said, we want to have a positive impact on society and take out more carbon than we, than we add to the atmosphere. So we need a different model for that. And actually, we need to reproduce nature and organize our factories and our value chains uh, and mimic nature in that. So they're working now in focus groups, in co-creation teams to find new ways of material use, of how you develop a product, how you design your, your factory um, to find solutions uh, for the, the year 2040. That's their new dot on the horizon, yeah. uh, so to say. Um, from the past, maybe an example is that they they make carpet tiles that squares 50 by 50 centimeter. Today, nowadays, they have different uh, sizes too. Um, and they were used to glue them to the floor of offices and that would not be good for the health for the installers 
the product would not be easy to remove. And they looked at nature and they saw the feet of a gecko and they thought, hey, something is happening. How does that uh, glue to the Yeah, how do they stick? The and and it's, it's using gravity, etc. And they were able to find a solution to um, make a connection with the floor with sort of a sticker on the edges of the carpet tiles rather than having a lot of glue. Um, mm -hmm. And it allows us to use less material. It's less toxic in you the air. You reuse it's, uh, the panels. Yeah. Better indoor quality. You reuse, remove. Um, and it's a great solution. And they learned that solution by looking at nature. And if we do that more, if we involve more of the design skill also in our uh, building uh, process, um, starting already with um, giving inspiration to invest it, for example, at the start of the uh, process um, with different ways of thinking inspired by nature, I'm sure we have better outcomes. It's already happening and there's so much more to discover. And so much so to learn from nature is a great designer, right? Yeah, and to <laughs> discover also. Uh, it's like a, a journey. It's fun to do. It's uh, It gives you new energy and we need that. And we already have couple of really good examples in the built environment actually especially in countries where it's very hot um, they use certain designs inspired by trees to optimize uh, the uptake of solar light in the evening and in the morning but to diminish the amount of solar uh, power that can enter a building at the middle of the day and also things like velcro are inspired by by mimicry by nature so yeah, so interesting and all these solutions are out there. It's just uh, how do you get access to those ideas and those solutions already out there and how can you bring them to your own market, to your own region, your property? Um, that's the challenge. I think the companies who are surviving in the next 10 years are the ones who are having strong networks, good partners, access to inspiration. And um, well, that's also where you play a part as Savills, a valuable part. And um, what should the vision for the future look like? So this is a bit of a, you're talking about the importance on, on having a dot on the horizon, so a compelling vision. What is your compelling vision for, um, yeah, you, could, you could take it as broad as you like or, or keep it focused on real estate, whatever you, uh, you prefer. But what is your compelling vision for the future that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, personally, I will call it a mission then that I'd like to share with you. In uh, the platform 100 Months to Change, we are a global platform with local departments, so to say, liaisons. And in the Netherlands, we have the mission to have 1 million professionals inspired and empowered to play a stronger role in uh, the climate case. And the built environment has 40% of contribution to the CO2 emissions we need to diminish. And so we need a lot of professionals out there to change the way of working. We need young professionals, students, um, but also uh, purchasers, marketeers, um, process managers to have a chance to integrate working on climate change in their daily work. It's a step-by-step -step process. We work with the, the change teams on that, but let's involve a lot of people and use the potential to co-create also. Yeah, I think yeah. that's also something that we really noticed working on our own roadmap is that uh, we pulled together a team of, uh, of professionals cross-divisional and cross-hierarchical and um, who we already knew uh, were yeah, passionate about this topic uh, in their private lives or, or, or at Tevels. 
And we felt like for them it was almost like a relief that they had now a sort of outlet for all their ideas. And we're now that we presented the roadmap uh, internally, we we get so many ideas uh, that people bring because they have the feeling, oh, there's room. There's room for my ideas, no matter what part of the company that I work at. But it's really, I think, also giving your employees the the feeling that they can they have somewhere to go with their ideas and that that you're open to them um yeah i, I have the feeling that that we've just opened sort of the lid of of what's already inside the company it's not even bringing in that and we're still looking at like partnerships and uh, things like that but already inside already within our current um employee list there were so many great ideas and even integrally because i see that a lot of companies it's a, it's like an added bonus to working on esg um some companies struggle with the same thing that we struggle with sometimes which is that departments can be really isolated from each other and not collaborate too mm -hmm. much Silence, and through yeah. yeah the silos and through esg we saw that a lot of people sort of discovered each other mm -hmm. and and started working on these high-level solutions together, which created a lot of new connections. integral connection and, and new business and new types of products and new types yeah, and of, of thinking. Yeah, of course, looking at an, an issue or, 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 uh, or a challenge from different perspectives, so from different, like a technical background and a commercial background, it will definitely mean that you bring more added value because you're looking at it from, from, uh, yeah, from all angles. And I think that's also, it's really connecting yeah uh, it's very connecting to work on ESG and um, final question already I feel like we could talk about this all day but um, I end every episode with the same question to my guest and it's uh, uh, about uh, your dream project so if you had no boundaries in terms of um, material time money uh, what would your dream project look like Ooh, I would uh, build a village, actually, uh, despite the fact that we need most housing, of course, in cities. But I would definitely build the role model of a village where we have space for young people to buy houses that they can afford. Or maybe we find a different construction of ownership even for this. Live together with elderly people who need more attention these days with well, the social aspects to being more alone. Uh, we have more elderly people. Um, in such a way that we have very healthy buildings um, made of materials that are healthy, that are also capturing carbon um, and make it a very green environment because we also know that people living in a green environment are 12% more happy and productive. And um, I have this image in my head what this village looks like and the, the art will be to organize the collaboration in the value chain around it. And I'd, I'd love to be able to orchestrate that process, have a lot of energy between the people involved in this process, starting with the investors, the local government, the provincial uh, governments in this case as well, and all the, also the citizens in the village and to build it literally together and make it uh, the best place to live for themselves and the generations uh, to come. Well, Charlotte, that sounds amazing. And I think maybe if we invite back all the guests that we had in this series of uh, of No Stone Unturned, maybe you would have a really good project group to start with because we've heard so many great ideas and concepts on 
things that you're talking about, bio-based material building, uh, um, smart mobility, uh, we've talked about uh, impact investing, we've talked about building for diverse and inclusive uh, communities. Uh, so I think with that group of people, you might come a long way. Um, thank you so much, Charlotte, from 100 Months to Change. And thank you all for listening to this season of No Stone Unturned. Please subscribe when you don't want to miss a thing and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app.